Hello, and welcome to episode 268 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Andre Fratino, the writer of Jim Hansen's Shapeshift, I'm sorry, stor- the Storytellers Shapeshifters from Boom Studios in comic book shops now. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Andre, let's do the things that we normally do to, to start off an interview. We, we, we ask for two things. We ask for a, a quick bio, and then we ask for an elevator pitch before we do the deep dive into the making comics goodness. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you know, quick bio is uh, I am a storyteller. Uh, and I say that in a broader sense of the term than being just a graphic novelist. Um, well, graphic novels is my like heart and soul. I do uh, a variety of different things from comic book writing to illustrating to uh, you know giving ghost tours in Savannah, Georgia, which I've done for 17 years. Um, you know, most of my graphic novels I work on are historically uh, leaning. So I guess in some ways, I like to consider myself a his. Uh, historian of graphic or a graphic novel historian or biographic novelist. Um, and, uh, you know, for the past, whew, I think it's been about 12 or 15 years now, I've been working, you know, professionally in comics of one way or the other. And, um, um, you know, my, my greatest successes have probably been uh, A Land Remembered, which was a graphic novel that came out in 2018 that won the Florida Book Award. It was a uh, based off of the uh, novel by the same name by Patrick Smith, major Florida novelist. And then um, Image Comics, Simon Says, which came out right at 2019, at the end of 2019, right before we went to a pandemic mm-hmm. uh, about Nazi hunters. And, uh, you know, I've been on the show a couple of times before, talked about uh, some other projects like Tokyo Rose, uh, about the Japanese American woman escaping Japan or living in Japan during World War II and uh, Tom Petty, the graphic novel that's still being developed. Um, and yeah, so that, that's me pretty much in a nutshell, uh, as far as what I'm always doing, I'm always doing at least two or three things at the same time. So it's hard for me to keep track. Um, right. But the latest success has been, you know, Jim Henson's The Storyteller with, um, you know, Boom Studios, which has been a real milestone for me. It's my first um, IP work, intellectual property project. Uh, it's my first comic, so first flimsy comic to ever be on comic book shelves, which is exciting to have too. Um, and uh, I guess the quick little elevator pitch of it would be that it is based off a Celtic folk legend of four um, royal children who are transformed by their evil witch into swans and have to grow up essentially uh, and learn how to work together uh, to survive and ultimately, you know, defeat their evil uncle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the quick elevator pitch for it. Cool. Not to get too off topic here, but do you have a original art back there on your bookshelf from the comic or is that just an illustration from the actual folklore? Yeah. So, uh, the amazing, yeah, the amazing artist, uh, Nori Refferford, who is doing the, who did the artwork and, uh, this is actually, uh, from what I was told, one of Nori's first major publications, and wow. her work is absolutely stunning. So she did this little print that she sent me that I'm going to have framed and hang up in my daughter's uh, bedroom. She's only six months old, but I can't wait to actually read this comic to her. So that's yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, I yeah. saw that and I immediately, and I was like, I wonder if that's from the comic or if that's an illustration from the folklore. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely like it wasn't in the comic. It wasn't official work, um, 
But if anybody wants to see it, it's also on Nori's Instagram. So, um, and you can find that on most of the things off the top of my head. I don't have my phone near me to be able to give you Nori's. Oh, I do. I think Nori needs a shout out pretty much too. I mean, she really made the book what it is. Um, so yeah. I just adopted a folklore legend. She literally turned it into what it is. So if anyone's interested in the audience, it's Nori, N-O-R-I, story, A-R-T, Nori, story, art. Uh, and that's on Instagram and her work there is gorgeous. We'll have to make sure to include that on the show notes for this episode, because I agree the art immediately struck me as something extraordinary when I, when I turned on, when I, when I, when I, I didn't open the book, I had it on comiXology. So I was trying to figure out the right verb there. Right. Uh, it's, it's really great. And uh, well, I'm excited to talk to you about the script for storytellers, but um, Matt, I interrupted Matt before I, I pointed uh, out the art. No, well, that's okay. Say quickly, quickly about Nori, I mean, before we jump into that, I'll say mm-hmm. that she is no stranger to doing Henson artwork. Like if you scroll down her, like, you know, previous uh, illustrations, she's got dark crystal artwork in there. And, you know, so it just seemed like a real natural fit that she work on a Jim Henson project. Awesome. So, I'm guessing you guys were, were put together by, by boom. Um, so, and do you have any insight into how that they, they found her? Do you think maybe they were, they were scrolling for, or, you know, searching for somebody who um, had an interest and had displayed some Henson artwork in the past? I don't really know the story about how they found Nori, but both of us were put together through our editor, Alison Gronowitz, okay. who was phenomenal. Um, you know, working with Allison was like, she just got what worked. And, um, you know, I had been in talks with Allison about trying to get a project off the ground at Boom for a while. And, um, you know, she was uh, was nice enough to have read every script that I sent her. And she was like, well, maybe this, maybe that, I, I don't know. But eventually she's like, we will work together. And um, she uh, was generous enough to allow me to work on this opportunity. And, um, you know, it was the first time I worked really hand in hand with an editor, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I've worked with publishers and editors before who've given me a wide berth to do whatever I want to do. But Allison was kind of a, a, an educator through this process as well. So, uh, you know, she put the team together. She, you know, had a creative vision. And in this way, it was an editor that really kind of was a collaborator more than just somebody who says, let me make sure that you got your T's crossed and your eyes dotted and this makes sense and this doesn't. Um, Allison really kind of, uh, really kind of spurred the creativity on. And so I, um, it's really totally up to her that she said, I'm going to take Andre, I'm going to take Nori and put them together. So. Very cool. And did she also maybe act as a, as a go-between with the, with the Henson estate? Did they have any, um, you know, final sort of say so or, or review or anything like that? Yeah, so um, all the projects, as far as I'm aware of, when it comes to the storyteller, have to be approved by the Henson family, essentially. Um, I was told that Linda Henson was the one who was reading all of the stuff and making sure that it, you know, met with the stamp of approval from the Henson company. Uh, so, boom, uh, Arkea, which is, you know, their, um, their uh, subsidiary um, publisher that handles the uh, Jim Henson uh, projects, they were the ones that kind of were the go-betweens with the Henson family for it. And did you, uh, it got, you know, I know you have a background in like, you know, some indie comics where you were sort of the writer and you had to be more hands-on, you know, reviewing art. Did, 
did you turn over scripts and then you didn't see stuff for a while or were you still sort of involved in the like the day-to-day like seeing pencils seeing inks and, and stuff like that how did, did the, the was that the same or did things change there again this was a really unique experience for me because before you, you just said it you nailed it um you know, I wasn't only just with all of my independent projects with Simon Says and with the very beginning parts of uh, Tokyo Rose, I had to be not only the writer, but the producer and the manager as well. So it was requiring of me to make sure that like, all right, I need to see daily you know, submissions, what's the drawing looking like, what's the art looking like, maybe make sure the manager or the, or the artists are on time and let me make sure that we're doing things efficiently. Let me make sure we're getting money done the right way. So I had to do a lot of different things, a lot of different roles when I was working in indie projects. Working on this totally felt like a collaborative, but also sort of a hierarchical experience. So, you know, um, uh, Allison definitely managed it. She was the one that was, you know, keeping track of everything, making sure that everything was, you know, uh, moving forward efficiently. Uh, She's the one who picked the people. She also, you know, uh, was the one that was making revisions. Um, I did submit, um, a few different script ideas um, based off of the shapeshifter theme. Uh, and this was the one that the Henson company decided they liked out of the several that I submitted. Okay. So, yeah. um, you know, but I mean, again, Allison was the go between the share that with me. She did share with me, you know, Nori's pencils along the way, her inks. Um, I got to see the color. So I did get to see the evolution of the comic go along, but it was really refreshing not to have to be the person <laughs> that's responsible from getting it from say a Kickstarter crowdfunder to in the hands of our backers. It was really nice to be able to take a back seat and just be like, yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and I felt like a yes man because every time they would send stuff to me, I'd be like, hey man, you're not, I'm just happy to be here. You know, this is great stuff. You guys are doing good work. You know, I don't know how many different ways I can put my thumbs up and say how awesome it was, but it truly was. So um, different experience, totally fun. No, why don't you go ahead and, and lead into some story questions here? Yeah, I had a question because, you know, you brought up that you're used to sort of graphic novels. This is your first single issue story. And while I was reading that, I was kind of wondering about the challenges of going from having a larger page count to tell a story to only, I think this one's maybe 21, 24 pages long. 22, I believe. 22 pages long. Yeah, what are what, what what were some of the challenges that you found you had to overcome in writing the script, or was it easy to sort of transition to think in a shorter format? Man, you guys have the best questions. I forget that. that every time I'm on this show, the questions are like, "Man, those are great." <laughs> um, no, you know, it it was a hundred percent probably the most challenging aspect of this project because um, working with Boom. I mean, I worked with Image, and Image is great. I mean. It was a huge milestone in my career to be working with Image. But again, Image was one of those things where it's like, we're taking your graphic novel, whatever you do, we're going to review, make sure it works, and then we're going to submit it. There wasn't a lot of that creativity. There wasn't hand-holding. But there also wasn't an expectation, really, beyond what we had presented in the story. You know, for this, I was being given the controls to work on an, an intellectual property that's beloved, that people really, you know, admire, um, and to have that responsibility was, was really, you know, daunting. And then combine that with the fact that it had to be 22 pages, which was the shortest I'd ever, I mean, I had done comic strips for my college newspaper, but to tell a story and make sure that it's refined 
and that hits the actual points of, you know, that project and what those stories are, the fans are gonna expect from something from this. That was a real challenge to it. Um, and uh, at the end, I, I found that, I mean, I don't wanna say that I met the challenge, but I think that it was definitely, um, it was intimidating at first and then really liberating and really exciting at the end because it really forced my own storytelling to be more concise, more directed. Um, and that's something I also credit to, to Allison. You know, she along the way would say like, look, you're getting a little wordy over here or let the visuals talk a little bit more over here or I don't think this scene needs to be here. Let's get rid of that. And it was kind of, an, it was a super education. I was like, you're right, you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, I had gotten so used to having that freedom of 120 to 150 pages to do my artwork that I just wasn't thinking about how being more concise can lead to less page count while also allowing for the hits to be that much more dynamic. Was, that was something you, you used the word directive and or like directorial. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt that in this story because this isn't a dig on the book, but it is. I, and I understood why it's very exposition heavy because you need to get the story told in as short amount of time as possible. But what I like about it is that there are a lot of moments where the narration is sort of giving the exposition, but the artist is telling the story through the performance. So was that all in the script or was a lot of that also just the artist bringing the emotion into, into the art? Um, you know, I think that my artistic background allowed for me to, in the description of the panels, really already visualize what it should look like. Right. So even before I knew that Nori was going to be the artist on this, I was very descriptive about how those scenes should look. But it was Nori who definitely brought far more um, emotion to that scene, as you had said. You know, like I knew that that chariot, I wanted the chariot to be, you know, the center focal point of them leaving the city. I wanted it to feel really like, you know, um, foreboding what was about to come. And then Nori took it and just blew it out, you know, and, and made it just definitely a far more dynamic sequence. So um, I, I want to say that I'll give myself the credit knowing that what I wanted to see visually, but Nori was able to do it and then bring even more to that factor. It was almost like she tapped into my brain and then just said, all right, let's augment this even further. <laughs> and we didn't have I, any communication either. They, they, you know, uh, I mean, the editors were like, look, you know, let, we're going to handle this. Just take your script and just we'll send you the stuff, you know. And uh, while I was able to like give, I gave Nori a, a message before we got started said, hey, I love your work. I love what I've seen so far. You know, I was pretty much told like, let, let the artist do the art thing. You do the writing thing and never the two shall meet. <laughs> and it was great because every time they submitted it, I was like, no, yeah, that's that's great. I have no, I have no notes. So. Very cool. So. Um, you know, they say that like a comic script is there's no like one format that's accepted. It's it's basically a letter between the writer and the artist. So as long as that communication is is you know is made and the story goes forward, that's that's what you're gonna do. You know, but you also, you know, with the Tom Petty book, you're the 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 writer and the artist. So did you have to sort of come out of that mindset that like, hey, I'm gonna figure some of these things out? you know, while I'm drawing it, like you had to sort of almost hand over like a, like a finished document to, to, to the artist here. Yeah, when I'm ever, whenever I'm writing and not doing the artwork, 
whether I have hands-on collaborative creativity to communicate directly with the artist or not, I think the most important thing you can do is provide a script that is just so foolproof that you can't make the mistake, but it, you know, um, it has to be able to translate exactly what your vision is so that the artist, no matter who they are, can visualize what they're supposed to develop. Because if you shortchange it too much, or you, even if you give too much information into it, you can either overload the artist to the point where they won't know what the hell they're doing, or you undercut the artist and allow them to do their own creative thing, which, you know, you pick the artist because you love their creativity, but you definitely want to have a hand in what that is going to look like. So you definitely have to find that sweet spot of producing a script that is descriptive, that allows for freedom of, of individuality for the artist to do what they do, but also just doesn't, the less questions that the artist has to pose back to you, the better off you are. Very cool. Noah, um, I'm going to go into some sort of like networking questions soon, but before we leave story questions, I want to, I want to check in with you. You know, uh, Andre is such a good storyteller himself that he always answers every question that I have okay. afterwards. So <laughs> it's, it's great talking to Andre because I have follow-up questions to whatever question I ask, but it's like Andre knows where I'm going. So he answers them. So, <laughs> so go ahead talk about networking. It's great. Cool. So you had mentioned earlier in sort of the, the how this all came together that uh, you had sort of been sending ideas to, to the editor and, and, and she said, yeah, we're going to we're going to work together at some point. Were those were there, was there any face to face communications you, you made with her or you was it all sort of like this is my work this and like I'm just trying to figure out for somebody who might want to, you know, approach this situation of, you know, I guess, was it, a, did you consider it a cold submission to, to contact her or, or maybe a warm submission? Allison wasn't a cold contact. Okay. Um, Allison was an opportunity I had through uh, a mutual friend. So this okay. is one of those instances where, you know, the networking, you know, furthers the networking opportunity. Um, and so um, now I could have, what I remember the first time I reached out to Allison was shortly before New York Comic Con 2020, uh, 2019. And I was checking to say like, hey, you know, we have mutual friends in touch. You know, I know that you work with them. I'd love to talk to you, you know, about other opportunities there. And uh, I was gonna try and meet up with her in New York, but she wasn't going to New York for the Comic Con. Um, and then it was just a matter of um, just staying in somewhat consistent communication. I mean, with editors, every editor and every publisher is completely different, I think. And um, I think the most important thing that all of us have to keep in mind that I think a lot of people sometimes forget is editors are human beings too, mm -hmm. but they're the human beings with the keys to the kingdom. And so everyone and their mother is hitting these people up with like, I've got an idea, I've got an idea. Hey, I want you to publish my comic. I want you to do that. So um, I always try to make a conscious effort to not like bug people and not annoy them. Um, and so, um, I just, it's, there's nothing you can really translate to tell people like, well, here's how this would lead to success. But I think the most important thing you do is to be mindful of the time that, you know, editors are providing for you, be mindful that they're human beings and that through the pandemic, they were just as overloaded, if not more so than a lot of us were as creators. But, um, you know, just finding that comfortability and that, um, that personability that you can find. Each editor is different. Some really will like to chat with you, you know, about other things, maybe via social media. Some don't want to be approached via social media. 
Some, you know, like it if you are, you know, uniformed with your submissions to them. Some of them like it if you just want to ping them every other couple of months or so. But, uh, you know, it was never, we never had a face-to-face. We still haven't had a face-to-face this day, but, you know, I count her as a, um, uh, more of a comrade of comics than I do as just an editor, you know, like we um, have joked around about things through Twitter about, you know, what's going on in the Star Wars and, you know, what's going on with um, other like pop culture stuff. And that to me is just, um, it's been such a, it's been such a boon to have that kind of connection and communication with her as an editor leading my story to production, you know, but, you know, not having to worry about, um, you know, ticking anybody off or having anybody boss you about. But, um, but no, I mean, I think I digress, digress a little bit. I'll say that, um, you know, it's just, uh, it was a really easy communication. And I would, I would think that it's, it had to be comfortable for you and her that you had common friends. There's sort of like a, like a no like, and trust factor that you, you get there. And also I'm guessing that you could present her that you have these, these finished products that show you have like the want um, and the desire to, to put the work in and to do things. So do you, do you think that was helpful as, as well? I, I definitely think that what is, that was the most helpful. I mean, um, before I landed the Image Comics Project with Simon Says, most of my books were published regionally in Florida, you know, and um, my Flagler's Few series, while I love it, and it was my, you know, start to professional comic book publication, graphic novels, you know, it was really never, it was like being a regional act. It was like being a band in, a, in your own state, you know, you have all your people in your state know who you are and they love you, but you're not really known in LA or in New York or in Chicago. Simon Says allowed for me to platform up to that next level. So I went from a regional publisher to a national publication. And, um, you know, while I did have four graphic novels before at the regional publication level, sure, that is proof in itself of proof of concept, proof of capability. But, you know, I was working with a publisher that no one knew anything about and editors that nobody knew. So to be able to go at Image and work with them, I think is able to say something at a different level for, you know, any other editor. From I mean, it wasn't just Allison and Boom, it was, you know, a lot of different editors at different publishers who, you know, answered my calls when they wouldn't have before. Um, and some editors were like, yeah, I know who you are. You're the writer of Simon Says. Totally will read this next book. Um, so that was really, I think, the biggest change and draw and really proved that I had the chops for it. Um, but I don't think that just because I did image, I mean, anybody across even independent publishers, we're in a day and an age now where like, if you can show that you produce something for a mass audience, especially if you're doing a crowdfunder where you're showing that you're responsible with the money that you're granted to do that project and then produce something for people, not only shows that, yeah, they can write or draw and staple a comic together, it shows that they can be responsible enough to get the product done in a timely manner that people wanted it. And that I think shows editors the most important thing that they want is somebody that they know they can work with and not somebody who's gonna be a basket case, a disaster, an ego, uh, egotistical maniac or anything like that. Very cool. I think well, I'm think... slightly some of this. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was a really good uh, coverage for the, the, the edit, or I'm sorry, the networking piece for, for me, but uh, I'm gonna check in with Noah here again. Yeah, I have a pretty, I guess it's kind of a deep question involving networking and sort of like you said, 
leveling up as far as you know storytelling goes because now you're able to reach a wider audience obviously because of the ip obviously because of boom right but i i would i'm guessing for you because you are a storyteller number one and correct me if i'm wrong like the end goal is just always to keep telling stories right you know that's the big thing but i i am curious especially now that my daughter's born because i just want to write and create so many books that'll take care of me for the next 15 years to read her, you know? So. Exactly. But I, I'm wondering for you, now that you sort of have a, a wider audience, if there's like one story, whether it's Tokyo Rose um, or, or your Tom Petty book, is there one book that you're like, oh man, I wish more people could see this? Like, is there one story out of the ones you've done that you're like, oh, this is the one that I really hope people will get more, their, more eyes get on this, this story? Uh, I would, I'd have to say it would have been my very first book, The Reaper of St. George Street, you know, mm. uh, only because it, there was so much personal meaning for that book to me. Not only was it my first graphic novel, uh, you know, I made it a, a 90 minute film before it was a graphic novel that you can watch on YouTube if you really want, okay. uh, with actors and everything. So it was kind of a reverse state, like we made the movie first, and then the comic. So the comic had a personability for that. Um, but it was just a really fun story that gave me, you know, I, I did a lot of wrong stuff in it. Not everything made the best sense. Um, it's a super flawed graphic novel, but um, you know, to me, it's an endearing and it's a loving story. And it's something that I wish and hope, I mean, it's still published, it's still out there. You can get it on Amazon, but that's one I wish that had a lot more eyes on it only because I still have plans to revisit that world and tell more stories from that. And I had a lot of fans in Florida who loved it. Um, I mean, even Flagler College, where the story set, made their own film class based around the graphic novel. And they used the graphic novel um, as like the textbook for the class. So that's, you know, that's a really meaningful project to me. And, and one that I would even maybe want to go back and give the Zack Snyder treatment to and then maybe just expand it for another 400 pages and put it, you know, in even darker black and white than it already is. So um, but at not- Jared Leto. Add Jared Leto into Martian it. Manhunter. That would make my wife happy. My wife is yeah. is goo goo gaga for Jared Leto. So, oh, I'm I'm not friends with your wife then anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, let's let's talk a little bit about the the leveling up. I mean, you get the book at at Boom Studios. It's it's an IP that that people are are aware of, but. You, th- there's still a lot of work to do. Um, you know, you, you're doing things like this. You're, you're coming on podcasts. I, I've, I've followed you on social media. You're, you're, you're doing book signs, book signings, and stuff like that. So, you know, there's there's still work to to do. You know, to to get the word out. You know, a Batman book, a Spider-Man book, a Superman book is gonna gonna sell. But you know, right. an IP. Uh, book, you know, from from a Boom Studios, is, is still going to need the, the the word of mouth and you to to go out there and do that. So, so what are you doing there? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's it's really hard. You know, since uh, 2019, you know, it's not the easiest thing to jump on a plane right now and fly around and do comic conventions like it used to be. I mean, a lot of us are still going to it. I know, uh, but you know, I now have, like I said, a six month old baby. So uh, a lot of it has just been, you know, the great thing about this has been that it is such a collaborative effort. So I'm not the only one pushing this. Nori is pushing it. Uh, Allison pushes it. Boom pushes the project. Uh, you know, I'm doing book signings. I'm doing talks. Um, I think you guys, you know, are, you know, I love you guys, but I mean, I've done two or three other podcasts too. 
So, um, you know, I'm still looking for those avenues to do that. I'm looking for the close um, signings that I can manage with the project. Um, but um, overall, it's just a matter of, um, you know, beating the proverbial feet, and just, you know, hitting the pavement, and, you know, going to anyone who will listen and talk and hear about it. I mean, I'll tell you that the past couple of book signings I've done, even just Savannah alone, we sold, everybody who walked in the door bought a copy of the comic. Um, and that was great, you know, and uh, I've been watching as people have been posting reviews without me even having, having to say anything, which is another great uh, feeling. So, uh, you know, we're still pushing out there. I'm, I'm still trying to do as many face to face signings and as face to face presentations and, and social media as I can. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a crazy different world out there. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's just different. So. So I'm a, I'm a friend of you uh, online and, you know, through this podcast, there was an interesting story I, I read that you, uh, that you had at one of your signings where you were confused with somebody. Do you, do you want to talk yes. about, talk about that a little bit? I mean, sure, I guess. Um, so I was at uh, one of the book signings at a comic shop here in Savannah called Odin and Sons, which is great. Uh, two of my friends, Logan and Thomas own it. And I was sitting behind uh, the table and this, this guy comes over and he's a writing major at the college here, SCAD, and starts to just talk to me. He couldn't have been more than 21 or 22 years old. And, you know, he really wanted to write, he wanted to write films, but he also was thinking about going into the comics. And he asked me every possible networking question he could do, which is fine. You know, I used to be a career advisor too. So I was like, yep, these are the right things you should be asking. And we must have talked for about 15, 20 minutes. And then... At the end, he goes, well, it was really great chatting with you, Jim. And I go, Andre. And he goes, oh. And he just turned around and walked away. And without even thinking, I just I looked at the owner who was sitting next to me, and I go, where do you get Jim from Andre? And he goes, dude, he thought you were a Jim dad. He thought you were Jim Henson. And I was like, oh, my gosh, really? Like, no, I mean, he does say Jim Henson's the storyteller. So he's probably wondering why the book signature I put on there was so different from yeah, I, like, I mean, yes, I am Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets and Sesame Street, um, and uh, yes, this is my comic and my. Comic. It's it's written right there at the top, right? It's the the very first piece of text we see from top to bottom. So yeah. So I'm hoping the next time, if I get to do a Star Wars comic, you know, I'll go to another exciting. He'll be like, "It was great to chat with you, George." So, uh, <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, I'm gonna check it. I'm gonna check it with Noah once he uh, once he gets his his breath back here. Um, but I'll, I'll ask a question while while we're waiting. Um, and this might be something you can or cannot answer. But with you know this avenue that you've been able to take, is this uh, opening up any uh, possibilities for for future stories? And again, if these are things that you can't say right now, we we totally understand. Yeah, there are a few things I can't say um, mm. as much as I would love to because I'm the worst at keeping secrets, but I can't <laughs> say. I've been learning to get better. I learned to get better with that because for a long time, I couldn't even mention that I was working on Jim Henson. And so I just had to keep like, you know, uh, Allison would keep saying like, oh, we're going to announce this. We're going to announce it soon. We're going to announce it soon. And I'm back here like, let me have it. Let me just go. <laughs> like, you know, let, I want to show all my like, you know, ex-girlfriends that I'm working on a Muppet project. Uh, <laughs> But uh, look at me now, girl. So, um, but uh, no, there's some project I can't say. I, what I can tell you, what has been announced is that Tokyo Rose was officially picked up for publication with uh, Tuttle Publishing, which is a 70 plus year, uh, uh, 
70-year-old publisher that specializes in um, Eastern or Asian-focused cultural stories for a Western audience. Um, and we couldn't have asked for a better publisher than to work with them. Um, and they uh, took on the project. They are going to release it in September as a hardcover graphic novel. Um, we've added in a ton more content, not more artwork, but um, there is a lot more content in there, such as a timeline and um, some quotes and a whole expanded uh, historical section. We also were able to expand and hire on or bring on really as a partner, uh, Janice Chang, who is a 40 year veteran of comic book lettering. She's lettered for everyone from Stan Lee, the Jim Lee and beyond. Uh, and she's recently worked with Gene Yang on a few of his graphic novels. So she's the letterer for our project. Um, and so, yeah, that comes out in September. I believe the hardback for the storyteller will come out in September as well. If I read that correctly, I think it's hardcover too. Um, so September this year is going to be a really busy, uh, busy month for me. And then, uh, you know, I don't know the exact publishing date for Tom Petty. I've been told I'm, no one knows yet. It will likely be next year at some point. It is in final pro, uh, post-production, essentially. Um, it's being lettered right now. I did the artwork and the writing and everything, but by the time I was finished with the colors, I just, you know, which I've never done a colored book before. So this will be my first colored uh, graphic novel that I've personally worked on. Um, I just finally couldn't do it anymore. And I was like, I'm gonna hire a letterer out of pocket, get them to do the project. Um, so actually Kate Casanow, who worked on the artwork for Tokyo Rose, she's gonna do the lettering for that. and. Um, yeah, that should be out next year. And, and who knows, we'll see what else comes down that pipeline. But well, I'm already starting to craft some new scripts on some new content and uh, we'll see where it goes. Cool. Well, I was excited to hear that the, the Tokyo Rose book will have additional material. So anybody that would have you know, gotten that from Kickstarter is now going to have the ability to get it in a different format with, with bonus material, oh, bonus material, but different material. So that's got to be a, a good thing as well, right? Bonus material, it will have a forward from uh, me. It'll have a preface from Janice. Um, it will also have a brand new cover. So fully colored, brand new cover by Kate. So the whole project's complete. I mean, it's gonna be new packaging, new content. It's the extended edition. So uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. Very cool. Well, uh, this has been a lot of fun catching up. I want to check in with Noah one last time. I think he's finally got his uh, breath back from the uh, yeah. Jim Henson story. That's um, best story i've heard about a like a signing i don't know probably ever <laughs> so good i mean matt gets confused for matt kent all the time uh i think but that's not nearly as funny as being confused for jim henson Similar. That is funny. it's both funny it, uh, let me say this it's funny it's honoring it's also a little shockingly sad because it's like, how yeah. do you not know who Jim Henson is? Yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah. He's a household name. It's not like we're, you know, it's just, it's so weird. It was bizarre to me, but, um, you yeah, know. it's not like, like I would see like, you know, if you're working on like a Clive Barker book, maybe that would be like a little less yeah. funny. Right. But Jim Henson is something where it's like, dude, that's like, it's like working on a Mickey Mouse comic and someone's oh. like, thanks, Walt. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't, it's, yeah. Uh, okay. I had a question though, um, in, in regards to, uh, um, this is a very basic interview question, but it, it's kind of uh, just, just about like, you know, what, what was your familiarity with, with the storyteller? Were you a fan of it? Like, you know, was it a part of your childhood and things like that? Or uh, like, you know, what, 
what, what role did it play in your life before this project? Right. Again, a great question. Uh, perfectly. I, I love it. Um, I grew up and I'm sure many, I, I don't know how every old everybody is in this room, but I grew up heavily on Henson products uh, more so than anything else. My parents didn't get cable at our house until I was 17. So PBS was like, you know, that's pretty much Muppets, everything owned on PBS. Um, but I watched the Muppets. Uh, I watched uh, Sesame Street. And, um, you know, one movie that I, I'm always loving that the Muppets did was the Muppets Christmas Story. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's a little known story. But if you <laughs> watch it, it's almost like beat by beat Toy Story before Toy Story. Um, I mean, wow. there's literally like it's about a toy who's the most beloved toy in the house. And, you know, he discovers the new toys coming to take his place. The new toy is delusional and thinks that they are the actual thing that they are. And then they all have to come together and discover like, oh, we can all be friends. I was like, how did Toy Story get away with this? Um, <laughs> oh my God. But um, no, I mean, the thing was, is I was, I was familiar with um, many of the Henson uh, uh, products and many of their, um, their works. The storyteller I do remember vaguely having watched as a kid. Um, but I wasn't as well-rounded with it beyond the comics by the time I was asked to work on this. So when I was working on it, I had already read the Storyteller Ghost series, obviously. Um, but um, I did decide that for authenticity and so that I wasn't just gonna be, you know, um, basing my knowledge off of another comic art team's, you know, portrayal, I wanted to go back to the original roots of it. And thank God that Amazon Prime had the whole series for free, which it still does. Um, so if anybody in the audience wants to go watch the original Storyteller, um, it is trippy. Um, it is a really funky, trippy 80s, uh, you know, Jim Henson product um, because it's just so dark, you know? Uh, I mean, the, the comic books have some of the stories that are like, wow, that's, that was a little hard, like, you know, that got dark over here. But for the most part, the comics are relatively family friendly. The stories, you know, I don't know if I'd show my, my daughter is like two or three or four years old. I don't know if I would show her some of the episodes just because the creature development is so terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, but um, no, I watched all of John Hurt's portrayals of it. Um, I did not rewatch the Greek storyteller, but I did watch um, all, of Jim, uh, all of John Hurt's work, which really gave me an opportunity to make sure that when I dialogued his character, I wanted it to be the kind of verbiage, the kind of, you know, style of dialect that he would have used. Um, so uh, yeah, and it's it was um, it heavily influenced what I created for this project. Very cool. So yeah. let's um, let's encourage people that have listened to this interview. Um, you know, what we like we said earlier, you're on this this grind to to get the word out. You know, um, I'm assuming people can still contact their LCS to say, hey, you know, I, I want a copy of that. Um, that's still the case. Yeah, I mean, it's only been out now for about a week, so. They're in stores everywhere, and there are two covers. There's the uh, original one by Monk, Mike Mundo, and then there's a variant cover that is just as gorgeous. Um, so, you know, I would recommend that if you're going to go out and get that comic, get them both, because uh, mm -hmm. they could be worth a lot of money one day. So, not because Very of me, cool. but because the art. But... And cool. I got it on Comixology, and it's, you know, roughly the same price, Um if you, you know, if you, if you, if you, if people are listening, prefer digital comics or just want to read it right now, it's, it's worth the money. It's, it's a, it's a full comic. You get, you get a full story and 
really great art and really great writing off of it. Yeah, and if you want to send me your laptop, I can sign the screen for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I have it's on my phone, so but I need that. Yeah. Found the, the the case on the back. Okay, yeah. yeah. Cool. So, Andre, let people know where they can follow you uh, online, uh, stay up to date on you know the projects that you talked about, and you know definitely stay up to date on on stuff that you'll be able to announce in in the near future. We hope. Yeah, the easiest way to stay in touch with me is to hit me up on Instagram at ARF Studios. So that's A-R-F-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. Um, I really, you know, keep the most updated content up there from book signings to my latest artwork to story projects to, you know, quirky life things going on. Um, and then if you want to take a look at any of my other projects or work, you can just go to uh, arfstudios.design. Very cool. Well, we're going to have a link to your IG, the, the artist's IG, and then a link to, to your website in the show notes, and uh, maybe even a link to, to Boom's uh, you know ordering system in the show notes to make it as easy as possible for everybody. Well, it's been great catching up with you. Um, it's you know we, we love to see the the development that you've had. You know, we've talked to you. You know, Kickstarters. We've talked to you. You know, graphic novels that are, you know in development and have uh you know backing and now we're now we're here at the the ip for uh for a you know a company that's putting books in, in shops so it's it's been a lot of fun catching up well it's always a pleasure chatting with you guys so thank you so much for having me on yeah no problem so for anybody listening if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use we really appreciate it also, again, we want to thank everybody who recently would have been a supporter of the Mossvale Kickstarter that Noah and I were part of. Um, uh, if you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter. That is at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Uh, this thanks again for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.